Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we're bringing you a very, very special Hot Takes episode. That's right. We uh, actually saved up over the years from our patrons and they sent us to New Orleans to Overlook Film Festival. That's right. Uh, Whenever we started this Patreon account, we said that we were using this money to like make our podcast better or be able to create better content. And that's exactly what we did because we are here to talk about 12 movies that have not been released yet. So we're able to like tell you about some things to look forward to in the upcoming year and beyond just from that Patreon money. That's right. And we were actually overall very impressed because we thought that, yeah, no, there's going to be a lot of like, you know, flagship movies. And then there's going to be like a smattering of like shit straight to DVD, you know, and really most of these were good. That's true. And uh, even some of the movies that we didn't catch, we could hear people in line talking about throughout the festival. And I feel like the programming this year at the Overlook Horror Film Festival is what it's called, uh, was pretty fucking solid. Yeah. So, in fact, some of the movies that people were talking about, I have a little FOMO and wish that I had seen. So Exactly. But, I mean, there's time for all of that. But I feel like the 12 movies that we're going to talk about today are a really good start. And I hope that all of our listeners, um, but especially our patrons, uh, get a little something out of this episode. Right. And it was 12 movies over four days. So I think this is the first day we had two. Mm-hmm. Second day we had three. And third day we had five movies, like kind of back to back, which was kind of a beatdown, but enjoyable at the same time. Yep. And then the last day, I think, was just two. Two movies. And we did other things in New Orleans, you know? So, uh, Oh, my God. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like Chris got to cross a major item off his list. Yeah, well, we stayed in the Garden District, right? I feel like when most people go to New Orleans, they want to go to Bourbon or stay in the French Quarter. And rightly, we did not. Yeah, we're all... Yeah. Well, I mean... We're at a different speed, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we're like, let's go antiquing. Let's get a beignet. We're old and gay. So, I mean. so uh, we, yeah, we, we stood off of Magazine Street in the Garden District. And the first thing we did uh, after coming in uh, the next day was uh, do a garden tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the, I guess the tour of the Garden District. Yeah, like a walking tour. And so the walking tour took us uh, a surprising amount of history. Uh, our tour guide was excellent. Yes. Uh, if anyone's interested, we can you know share that information. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, if you would like to take a walking tour in the Garden District, because it's beautiful and everything was growing and, you know, uh, all of the magnolia trees were blooming and it was excellent. And there's so much beautiful architecture and houses. And speaking of houses, we got to visit the Anne Rice house. That's right. Her former home. Yep. And so even though it had been repainted and everything, you kind of see a statue in like the, the side yard that reminds you of Interview with a Vampire. And I wonder if she had placed that in afterwards because I think she wrote the novel actually in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that was amazing to see that house and walk by it and walk through those <laughs> neighborhoods. We got to see Lafayette Cemetery, That's although right. not go in it because right. it's closed to the public currently and learn about a lot about that. And uh, eventually made our way to the, uh, I, I guess, garden district bookstore mm-hmm. and i was able to where I'll, i guess uh, Anne rice had done could have just walked to easily and done a lot of book signings and she did and she did and so i was able to go behind a glass door and kind of kind of rifle through some of the stuff that she had signed and there is a limited edition of mimnock the devil which is in the vampire chronicles i think it's like the fourth or fifth book and it's her favorite i believe and it's also my favorite of the series and so that was special to me that it's both of our favorites and that's something that we had, had in common because it surprised most people that that was her favorite but it's kind of her odyssey her epic right it's like a guided tour through heaven hell and purgatory uh by lestat and so uh it was a limited edition her autograph was like engraved or embossed 
on the cover and then it's also signed inside and I have it. So yeah, I was so excited when you purchased that book. <clears throat> I mean, I could tell like you found it. It was like one of the first ones that you pulled out just because of the title. I'm sure signed on the inside and you're like, Nope, gotta have it. And yep. I'm like, good. It made me super happy that you were able to see her house, have an autographed book and a limited edition at that, like in the same like moment. Right. I think that was a really good day. I enjoyed the shit out of that walking tour. Oh yeah. It, it was, was a neat. lot of cool stuff. Um, but we saw all these movies. It didn't leave a whole lot of time to do other things. But we did go to the Museum of Death just because it seemed like something the Film Flamers should do in New Orleans. And I think that we can categorically say... Don't go. Don't go to it. Obviously, we're dark people and macabre and, and all of that, right? And we have a fucking horror movie podcast. Mm-hmm. But I don't like uh, the celebrity uh, or ce- I don't know how you would say it, ce- celebritizing yeah. um, serial killers. And so they basically have like handwritten notes and which have nothing to do with anything. And like pictures, you could buy T-shirts with like Dahmer that says like, eat me or like, I'm going to eat you or something like that on it. And it's just like, it struck me really the wrong way. In the back, they've got faces of like a movie of one of the movies of Faces of Death on there. And it's like fucking music with like a slide whistle and shit, like trying to, it hit me really the wrong way. The whole, the whole fucking experience. And it was also kind of lame. Well, and I was just expecting a little bit bit more this is a museum that i've really wanted to go to for a very long time and um you know based on their website and things that i've heard about it people make it seem like there's a huge collection of things not just about serial killers but about death itself or like funeral services Mm -hmm. and things like that and i mean i feel like there wasn't a whole lot to do in there i feel like we were in there for like 20 minutes tops and it costs us like 18 bucks a person or something like that yeah it's just not i mean like I don't know. It also kind of rubbed me the wrong way for maybe some different reasons, but I don't know. It's, I mean, like if you're in a city like new Orleans and there's so much culture and history and there's lots of like other macabre esque things to do, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to this particular museum. I just don't like celebrating the names. It's like, I was talking with you right after and I'm like, with all these like school shootings and all the, the, these shooters, like manifestos and all that bullshit and their name and face plastered everywhere in the, the 24 hour news cycle for mm-hmm. weeks. I'm like, we need to start treating them like we treat hurricanes and just like give them a name and move on. Don't show their picture, yeah. you know, because we're essentially making them celebrities and they know that's going to happen as part of why they do it. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've talked about that museum enough. I mean, just honestly, but we also, I mean, like we walked around bourbon street, we had beignets I mean, we did other things besides watch movies, but ultimately like the movies were the, bulk of our time for yeah. sure we did have some nasty hypotheticals we we're trying to be just as uh stupid as the museum of death because we were going to open a restaurant next to it right yeah can we say that, that restaurant? <laughs> we're gonna try and open a restaurant next to the museum of death called john beignet Ramsey's. <laughs> don't come for us <laughs> but if you're laughing about it come for us john beignet ramsey <laughs> john beignet ramsey's <laughs> Oh my God. I'm still, I feel that's a a fantastic business plan. (laughs) Well, do you want to get into this a little bit? Let's do it. So we're going to talk about these movies sort of in the order that we saw them. Right. And again, this movie, this film festival is called the Overlook Film Festival. It's been in operation for many years, uh, but they had taken two years off because of COVID. And this is the first time, you know, since 2019 that they have had an in-person festival. They did have a little uh, online iteration a couple years ago where they partnered with some other horror fests around the country and they gave us some online 
online options to watch. So I was a part of that. Yeah. And we did a hot take on, on that, I believe. Yep. And so, um, but we were happy to, to go in person. They showed all these movies at the Britannia f- uh, theater, right? And there's, there's two of these. So, right. One of the oldest theaters in new Orleans, at least an operational movie theater is called Britannia mm-hmm. on Britannia street, sort of like close to the college. And uh, they opened up this like multiplex of sorts in this high end mall that's in the central business district. Yeah. It's the canal place um, mall. And it was on like the, the fifth floor or the third floor, third I guess, floor, of yeah. this mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it was small, you know, um, but it's in the central business district right next to kind of the walking distance of the French quarter, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it was it was kind of interesting. Like uh, there were some problems with this festival, yeah. And I I don't know the whole story, and I, I likely never will. But I feel like a lot of the problems that were had were because of the venue overall. I mean, if we're if we're talking about the festival itself and the way it was ran, like I was mostly happy with it. Yeah. You know, and I I I, I liked the theater. You know what I mean? Like the chairs were comfortable enough, right? It's which is we talked about before going to like conventions and things like that. So I mean, we had that. It was a, a good theater going experience. And we need to actually talk about the films. So let's start with our first film. That's right. So opening night, the opening night feature presentation was Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. It was the only time that this movie was shown during the festival. So we had to make sure that we caught it, and we did. Uh, just. So, you know, this movie should be released theatrically sometime this year is what they say on its IMDb page and on its Wikipedia page. Yeah. And whether that's going to be a week before it goes to streaming, I don't know. But for Oscar contention, you have to have your movie screen at least a week. Prior to. Yeah. I'm sure if it goes well, they would continue it. But a lot of it is just to, to, you know, dot their I's across their T's by having a theatrical release of some kind. So this movie stars Kate Hudson. Yeah, Hello, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I thought she did a very, very good job in this movie. Like I was, I was really pleased by her. Um, it also stars a relative newcomer called uh, Jong Jong Seo. She's a Korean actress, and Ed Skrine, who you might remember from uh, Deadpool as the main bad guy, and he's been in. Um, he was in that animated one by uh, Robert Rodriguez that just came out and that was produced by James Cameron. Oh, Alita? Alita, Battle Angel. Yeah, he was the, a bad guy in that. And I usually see him as like the British bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. But in this, he was like fucking Cajun ghetto. And it was awesome to see him so different. And Kate Hudson was the most different I've ever seen her. Yeah. But anyway, we should talk about the, the kind of premise behind this probably. Right. Um, so essentially, this movie is about a, a, a young woman who is in a mental institution um, and really no one knows a lot of her background, right? Yeah, her name is Mona Lee, which is where Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon comes from. Mm -hmm. And apparently she has a a superpower of sorts where she can sort of control people's actions. Yeah, it seems like from eye to eye contact, she can kind of like do, you know, interpretive dance and basically make you do whatever (laughs) the fuck she wants. She escapes this mental institution and the movie takes place in New Orleans. So she befriends Kate Hudson or Kate Hudson befriends her, maybe not for the best of reasons. And she sort of has to, you know, come to terms with her power and people around her and being around people and wanting to live her life. Right. This movie was directed by uh, Anna Liliana Poor. And I, hopefully people know her name because she directed a very, very good horror movie called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. And it's one that I loved very, very much. And so I was really excited to see this movie just based on the director alone. Yeah, same. Although, like, 
honestly, we walked out of the theater and it's not like I, I, I didn't dislike the movie. I also didn't love it, but uh, I didn't feel that it was really a horror film. I think it was barely horror adjacent. They could have done so much more. They could have gone more into like wacky territory and had fun with it, you know, because people are her puppets essentially, you know, but she's not, that's not the story they're telling. Right. And so they played it a little too serious, I think. And they also, you know, they could have gone more horror or they could have gone more wacky, but it's neither. And it's kind of like a, a slow burn drama with fun stuff that happens every once in a while. And I don't know. We both give it about a three star. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I'd recommend seeing it alone for Ed Scrines and Kate Hudson's performance because they're amazing. Um, but other than that, it's kind of a pass for me. Yeah. And I kind of agree. I, I feel like, like there were some funny moments. I laughed, you know, I mean, but Chris is right. I think the, the number one reason to see this movie, at least for me, is Kate Hudson. I thought that Kate Hudson did an excellent job. I haven't seen her in a lot of things lately, you know, and I, I like Kate Hudson and I like it when she does sort of like genre work, things like Skeleton Key and whatnot. And so, I mean, I, I felt mm-hmm. like her performance was excellent in this movie. And I mean, it's not a terrible way to start the festival, you know, but and also, obviously, these movies have not been released yet. Like every single one of them. Well, with the exception of the next movie we're going to talk about has not been released yet. And so we're going to try really hard not to, to spoil some of these things. So it may sound vague, but um, these are actually literally just hot takes. But yeah. So Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, an official three star rating from the Film Flamer. So, I mean, that's. Check it out at your own risk, maybe. Yeah. Now, again, I want to say a lot, most of these movies are what we would describe as good, you know, uh, or even excellent. And so we're just going to start getting into some of them now, essentially, with Watcher, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe this has been uh, picked up by Shudder. Yes, this is a Shutter film, although there is no official release date as to when it will start streaming on Shutter. However, it is playing currently theatrically in a very limited kind of run. It could spread to a much wider release in the upcoming weeks, but right now I think larger cities should be showing Watcher. And it did well, right? And it was like in these like select cities mm-hmm. and it had made it like over a million dollars or something. Yep, it made over a million dollars. And so this movie technically is sort of like produced and released by IFC Midnight and Shutter, and it's going to turn out to be IFC. Oh, so not Midnight's. just produced, but not just distributed, but, but also produced by. Correct. So they had a deal. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I feel like, well, and according to an article I read, it's going to be the the biggest opening for any IFC Midnight movie yet. Interesting. I'm wondering if this is part of the program where Shutter does like every year they they pick like a, a handful of. Um, minority directors uh whether they be like women or people of color or uh, sexual identity or anything like that and they kind of give them a chance Mm -hmm. and so maybe this was part of what uh chloe kuna who's the director of this she had done a short called slut and then she also did a part of vhs 94 yep but other than that she hadn't done a feature no it's her feature debut i this movie played at sundance as well Mm -hmm. and it got um some pretty high praise out of sundance which really um, helped cement its release time, right? So, I mean, this is pretty quick out of Sundance. This movie got this release. Um, It stars Micah Monroe, who you all would probably know from movies like It Follows and um, what is that really good movie with the guy from Downton Abbey? The Guest? The Guest. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I love The Guest. Me too. Yeah. And so anyway, I really love that actress. I think she's always great. Agreed. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's Michael Monroe. And then of course, Burn Gorman, 
you know, who's been in a lot of British TV and then some movies like um, recently he's been in a lot of franchises, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so you might re- actually recognize him. Uh, but this is essentially about, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land, right? And so uh, her, I guess, fiance uh, or husband is uh, in marketing and he happens to have a Romanian mother and so can speak Romanian from his childhood. Uh, childhood, And so they essentially ask him to go to Romania to fill this office slot for this marketing company. And of course, she doesn't speak Romanian. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the grudge in that way where it has this other sense of claustrophobia and an open space, which I love because it just makes you so vulnerable everywhere you go when you can't understand or speak a language or ask for help in many ways. Um, and so essentially what she does is she has to stay home all day, uh, while her husband's working. And she notices, especially during the evenings that there's a man across the street in an apartment complex or apartment building, I would say high rise, like she is in always looking in her window. Watching Can't quite her. see his visage, nope. you know, but almost like is, uh, and they kind of hang a lantern on this. He kind of looks uh, almost like Dracula, like, you know, pale face, dark hair, you know, and she starts getting followed and, uh, you know, the rest is history. I don't want to spoil anything, but this is definitely, um, you know, a tense building, uh, creeping, wonderfully atmospheric film that I would highly recommend. And we both, I think uh, really, really appreciated this film and we gave it four stars collectively. Yeah. So the official film flamers rating for this is four stars. I thought this movie was excellent and I thought that her performance was really, really good. There's some aspects to this movie that I really like. Like you were just talking about, you know, stranger in a strange land, fish out of water. And there's a lot of Romanian language in this movie, but nary a subtitle to be seen. Right. Yep. And so like the audience is really starting to feel just as trapped in these open spaces, you know, and it's, I jumped several times. I thought this movie was incredibly scary and the atmosphere is thick. You well know? Crafted, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, a good movie um, <clears throat> and you can see it now. So, I mean, like if this is playing near you, go, go see this movie, pay for it. It's the feature debut from a good voice in horror. You know? Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what most people think of the ending. I, I think both of us had some issues with the ending, but yeah. overall it ends well. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that it's a really well crafted thriller. We took umbrage. <laughs> so next up, we actually uh, had a replacement film, right? Because we were in line for Deadstream, and we had to basically pick another movie that was going to start around the same time, so we wouldn't miss the next one we were going to see. And so uh, we were going to see Deadstream, but we saw a movie called Zalava. Uh, which I believe will be streaming in September of 2022. Yes. Uh, this year. Uh, directed by Arsalan Amiri. And we did not like this film. And we both rated it about two stars. Yeah. Um, this is like the one we did not like. Yeah, this is the... Out of the 12 movies, you know, that we're going to be talking about, this is the one we liked the very, very least. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, this movie is Iranian. And it takes place pre-revolution. So we're talking the 70s. 1978, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's like outposts and villages and soldiers assigned to them. And this one particular village every year has to fight off a demon, sort of like have an exorcist come in and, you know, expel this demon so they can have crops and livestock. And this particular year, the exorcist gets arrested and... The, the soldier who's involved, you know, or in charge of that area has to sort of like come to terms with not only like the religion in that place or his own expectations or like disbeliefs about what's going on. It was a statement about the damage to a society of supernatural 
paranoia or belief, you know, and the harm that religion can do, right? And so, like, to get rid of some of these demons, they have to shoot you in the leg. And there's, like, amputees in this town because of that. People are falling off ledges because they're, you know, being shot to death. Or, you know, they're snake oil salesmen that are coming in as exorcists that may or may not believe in what they're doing. Uh, They're trying to catch these things in jars. But the whole thing is, like, it feels like it's supposed to be a statement on the hyper-religious environment of Iran, you know, and what kind of damage it can do. But they're focusing on this specific outpost that is gypsies that had come to Iran from outside and that this their their beliefs rather than the, the wider one. And so they get the, the message is kind of muddy there and mm-hmm. the disconnect is a misfire. Um, they had a lot of chances to do sort of subtle supernatural to make it like, is it, is it not real? But they totally walk away from that. And it's the whole movie is basically like, what are these crazy people going to do next? And, you know, I walked away thinking like the whole town should just be like a nuke from orbit, you know, like, come on. Yeah. I, so it, it, I didn't like it. I was bored. Yeah. I said, I mean, like I fell asleep for at least five minutes. You know what I mean? I was almost there. So, so I like, I don't know what happened in that five minutes, but it couldn't have been very good. Cause the rest of the movie wasn't, I mean, it's just a really boring movie. And I mean, the things that I had read online about it, it was critically acclaimed, you know, out of Iran and other places that it's played. A lot of people really love it. Yeah. People were talking about how much they loved it at the festival. And I was just like, God, did we watch the same movie? I mean, like, well, I heard a couple of people also saying kind of the same thing. We were. Okay, good. I I didn't hear many good things. I mean, obviously film is subjective. Yeah. A lot of people on Letterboxd are like, Hey, this is I horror. And I I want them to do it. Like, like kind of J horror, Mm -hmm. like Japan horror. Uh, This is like Iran, Iranian. And like, they're trying to say like, give us more of this, please. You know, like this is like a unique, unique face of horror. Uh, a, new, a new voice in horror and it'd be interesting to see more things like this. And I, I, I would agree with that, you know, but make it a little bit hit closer to home. Like it was so far from what you were trying to put a point on as far as I know. And I'm assuming that it just did not hit the mark for me at all. Narratively, thematically or anything. Agreed. So that was, that was kind of a, a misfire in the festival, but we moved straight from Zalava into a movie that Chris and I, I think both wanted to see just based on the way it looked and certainly based on a particular actress in it. And we watched a movie called The Cow, which should be releasing in July. Yes. It doesn't say if it's going to be a theatrical release or a streaming release. I can only assume for most of these movies, dedicated streaming or at least VOD. Yeah. And so I think this is mostly a debut um, by director Eli Horowitz. But the cast obviously is led by Winona Ryder, but also has Dermot Moroni, if you remember from Copycat <laughs> and a number of other things. Um, you know, and, and it's actually a really, really well acted, um, you know, kind of well scripted cast and story. Uh, led by Winona Ryder, but also Dermot Ramoni and um, like two kind of kids in it, uh, like 20s, maybe. Yeah, I mean. um, especially Brienne uh, Two. I don't, I'm not sure how to say her name. I think but she was excellent. Sound. And John Gallagher Jr. as as uh, uh, Winona's younger boyfriend. So essentially, this movie is about a a you know middle aged woman dating a younger student of hers, um, and they go off to this cabin. And there's another couple already staying at the cabin. Younger student, meaning like he's 36. Right. But Younger than her. At, at any 14 rate. years. Uh, they, they go to this cabin. There's already a couple staying there. They agree to share the cabin for the night. And she wakes up in the next, she wakes up the next day and her boyfriend has sort of like absconded with the female portion of that other couple. Yeah. Right? And so Winota 
is thinking about it weeks later, or at least a week later, and she decides that she wants to sort of track down this woman and talk to her and at least get an idea of why her boyfriend left. Yeah. Right. Ran away with her. And it creates this whole mystery in this movie. And, um, there's a lot of out of order kind of Tarantino editing going on here where we kind of fit the pieces together. Yeah. And it explains every single little thing, but I thought it ended well and you'll very much understand what the meaning of the cow is by the time you end it. And it's not the animal. Um, spoiler alert. But it's it's uh, I thought it was good. I'd watch it again. Uh, I think collectively we rated about three and a half stars. Yeah. And I I, I think that's a, a good solid rating for this movie. I mean, Chris is right. It, it gives you all of the pieces to the puzzle. Right. Sort of like sparsed out throughout the, the main narrative. But it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. Like it gives you all the pieces. You can solve the mystery yourself. And it definitely clears it up by the end. You know, I mean, like, there's no ambiguity to this movie whatsoever. And that's fine. I like that in a suspense or mystery movie. You know what I mean? I I kind of called the ending like close to it, and I mean, I Winona's great in this movie, and I think that that Brian Zhu or whatever her name is, is was really 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 good. And we have already seen like trailers and posters for this young actress, like other horror movies that she's going to be in. So, yeah. um, I say definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Next up, we've got one of the best that we saw there, which is a, a movie called Resurrection. Oh, my God. And it's coming out, uh, hopefully theatrically, in August of 2022. And this is directed by Andrew Siemens, who did another feature called Nancy Please. And I don't know what that is. But obviously, the cast here is Rebecca Hall, who has been rocketing in success recently with The Night House, which was one of the best, if not the best, horror film of, I believe, last year. Yeah. Uh, for both of us. And uh, she also directed Passing, which mm-hmm. I, I think was up for Oscar contention. I, well, it didn't get nominated for anything. It should have, but it was one of my favorite movies of last year. And as was The Night House. I feel like Rebecca Hall had a really, really good year last year. And I, this movie itself just shows you exactly like why, like why she's such a good actress and producer. She produced this movie. Yeah. And she's paired with Tim Roth, <sighs> who is a acting heavyweight, uh, you know, and her daughter is played by uh, Grace Kaufman. But essentially this is about a woman who is very successful and, um, you know, very much in tune with her own power and capability and, and ambition and is very successful in some sort of biopharm uh, pharma company and where she's some sort of executive or at least director level and, uh, you know, is in, in essentially a New York high rise, you know, working. And uh, you see her confidence and her poise and everything. And it's great. And she has a great relationship with her daughter who's about to go off to college. Meanwhile, a wrench is thrown in the works because she sees someone from her past at a medical convention, essentially. And uh, we don't know the details, but she runs like fuck. And it just turns into kind of like Invisible Man in mm-hmm. a way yeah. with pre- private, you know, prior trauma. Slowly unveils what that trauma was, which is horrific. And, um, you know, essentially ends with her trying to get her agency back in her life together uh, with the threat of this person essentially stalking her, even though that's not quite quite true controlling her is a better term probably because he's not, he doesn't have to basically lift a finger um you know she's she's uh, you know her emotional state is, is uh, essentially her own worst enemy in this i i think because uh, there's a lot of the trauma that happens there like an in invisible man where kind of the ending kind of earns it uh, very specifically to having gone through all the trauma that we had to go through as an audience to get to that ending it just the the ends had justified the means in this film 
I personally felt like the ends did not really justify <laughs> the means, um, but it was still such a well-crafted, well-constructed, well-acted film that I cannot help but recommend the fuck out of it. And uh, together, I believe we gave it a four and a half. This was my favorite movie in the festival. Like, I really, really enjoyed this movie so much. I think that her performance was fucking masterful, as is Tim Roth's. As we were leaving the theater, other theater goers, one guy in particular was sort of shouting to everybody, like, she needs to be nominated for an Oscar, you know? And I was walking by him while he was screeching that. And I was just like, I agree. You know, I also feel like Tim Roth should get some sort of nomination for this. And it is being released theatrically. And I think VOD shortly after that. So um, it, it has that chance. You know what I mean? But this movie is excellent. And it's a lot of different things put into one film. Like it's, it's a crazy ride and I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I feel like, Watch a trailer if you want to or whatever, but this is one of those things you just go into it blind. Like, don't read anything about it. You know what I mean? Like, do yourself a service and just watch the movie. Yeah. Like, don't do any homework beforehand. You can trust us on this one. Like, yeah, it's, I, it's I, I don't know how I'd construct a trigger warning for this, but there is some shocking stuff. Yeah, there is. And but I feel like it's fairly safe. I mean, it's just shocking, but... I mean, it's, it's shocking only because like, I didn't, I didn't see some of it coming and like when it's presented to you and, and like, I was, I was literally shocked by it essentially is what we're saying. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I mean, like, it's a shocking movie, but it's really, really good. I wholeheartedly recommend it for sure. That was it for day two of us. We started day three with a movie that was a world premiere shown at Overlooks, meaning that we were one of the very first people to see this movie. Mm. And it was called Who Invited Them? Right. And this is directed by Duncan Birmingham, who was present. Right. Uh, and kind of introduced the film. And the cast was led by uh, Ryan Hansen and Melissa Tang as the couple who are, are essentially doing a housewarming party. They just bought a home in the Hollywood Hills, kind of similar to uh, The Invitation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Timothy uh, Grandiros and Perry Matfield in a star-making performance Agreed. Um, are the polite home intruders, we'll say. This is a polite home intrusion movie. Or hate home invasion. Movie, yeah, I guess you'd say. So these this couple is throwing a housewarming party. There's there's a little bit of maybe a true crimey past to the home that mm-hmm. they live in, although part of that couple doesn't know about it really. And these people have sort of crashed after the housewarming party is over, and um, are sort of convinced to stick around for a drink, right? And then mm-hmm. shit really starts to go a little bonkers. Yeah. So this is a slow dread type of situation but it's also funny as fuck yes and it's i i have to like of all the movies like if you're gonna watch something fun especially with friends or something like who invited them is just great yeah because i was laughing my ass off and so were you i mean like we were like chuckling out loud and the audience was too you know like it was a funny funny movie it takes a little bit to get its legs right like uh, there's some some script weirdness or some acting weirdness the kind of the beginning where it's kind of feels a little forced and then it's just like it's more and more comfortable as it goes through and they must have shot this in order um you know and so and and, and why not because everything is in essentially one location Mm -hmm. you know um which is their house and so it just kind of like unfolds and you learn more and you kind of guess what's going to happen you know but it doesn't matter because it's such a fun fucking ride right and when he says a star making turn by perry and matt is he's not 
not joking. This woman does such a good job in this movie. She's just hilarious. She has a presence to her. And like, I think that we are both expecting like really great things from this actress. At least I hope so. She reminds me of Alexis from Schitt's Creek, but also kind of the looks of um, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Right. And so, but she was incredibly eloquent and quirky all at the same yep. time. Not what you'd expect from, you know, someone just like coming out into the first feature film. But she was amazing. She was. I mean, she was effortlessly funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like her delivery is just excellent in these like, like blink and you miss it jokes. Like I feel like out of all the movies that we saw at the festival, this is one that I would probably watch the most often. Yeah. Right. Because it's because it is a good time. I feel like I would show this to just about anybody. People who didn't like horror movies. I'd be like, you know what? We're going to sit and watch this because there are like there's some increasing dread going on, but it's like cut with these jokes and it's just such a good movie. You almost don't care that they're in mortal danger, you know? Right. I mean, like you're all along for the ride. And I mean, like it, it does take some turns toward the end, you know, into a more like straightforward horror territory. But the, the ride to it is great. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, there's no official release date that I could see anywhere I online even find for a this fucking trailer because I was wanting to show Matt when I got home. There's not. I mean, like this movie, I think it was recently finished. Like we literally were the first audience to watch this movie. He said in his intro that he had showed it to the actors before he got to New Orleans, but we were the first people to see this. Like there's nothing about its release date. There is no trailer for this yet. All that I could find in sort of a journalistic way was an article in uh, the Hollywood reporter talking about its creation. Um, But the director seems like a really nice guy. He's, he's done a lot of producing work, not a lot of directing work as far as I can tell, but hopefully, I mean, just like for you listeners, like we've reached out to him on Twitter and have a conversation started. And I really, really would like to have him on the show to at least talk about like this movie itself. And, and especially if we could get that actress on, I would love to talk to her too. Or any of them really. I'd love to hear how he cast it or how it was cast and how they found, you know, but anyway, we can't say enough good things about it. I, I, I guess our overall rating is four stars. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that might trickle up if we continue to like it on rewatches, if it ever comes out. I could totally see that happening mm-hmm. for sure. Next up, we have The Summoned. Uh, should be released in July of 2022. Again, don't know if it's going to be theatrically limited or if it's going to be directly to uh, streaming, I would assume, based on what we thought about it. This was our other kind of not great film yeah. that we saw. We re- we combined rating of two stars directed by Mark Meyer uh, with a cast of Emma F- uh, Fitzpatrick, J. Quentin Johnson and Angela Gulner. You might recognize them from several different roles and different things, depending on who they are. But essentially this is uh, rich people going off to a, a retreat in a very small, small group for people. Uh, one of which is not famous, which is the boyfriend from uh, like a Taylor Swift, like a, like a, you know, character yeah. who's essentially big in music. And, um, kind of goes downhill from there. The The first act is kind of interesting and intriguing, but it's kind of like ready or not and get out kind of a combined. And it feels like try hard. It feels like it's, um, it feels like it was trying to capitalize on those kind of themes. And then it just fell flat for me. And that's about all I want to say about it. It just wasn't very good. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, there were some funny moments to it, I guess. Right. Like it was trying, it was trying hard to be a lot of different kinds of things. Yeah, Angela Goldner was amazing in it. She was funny. Yeah, she was I the mean, relief anyway, but she was like a little, like a mean girl actress, you know? And, uh, I don't, I mean like there's, there's just a lot going on in this movie and none of it really works. You know, like it's, it's missing a whole act, really. It gets yeah. like the final act, like right as things are un- un- enveloping. And then it's just like, what? Could we have some sort of 
pause or for breath or exposition or something because I don't care about any of the characters in this fucking movie. I really don't, even the ones that we're supposed to, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Kind of a misstep, but I mean, honestly, like out of 12 movies, if it, there's two. It felt like someone designed this movie based on the numbers and and then just like, you know, colored by numbers to, to capitalize on, on the things that have been coming out by Jordan Peele, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then just fucking a studio just turned this fucking out, you know, like an independent, like, oh, let's take advantage of it. And and it wasn't actually something someone was passionate about. That's what it feels like. And this was also a world premiere. So, I mean, like it, it played at Overlook for the first time, you know, no one else has seen it before. Um, but it's coming out fairly quickly. So if you, if they happen to catch a trailer, maybe we'll like post it somewhere on social media so you can see. And obviously like, like we said, well, like we always say, like if you see a movie and you, disagree with us again we'd like to know so mm-hmm. if you happen to catch the summon when it comes out yeah let us know if you loved it yeah after that we watched some queer horror in a film called swallowed yeah and this was directed by carter smith who was present uh and i believe most of the cast was there as well uh led by um jose collin and cooper coke and jenna malone who i always fucking love and Mark Patton, which was so great to see him. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 uh-huh. uh, as kind of the queer-coded character. And then he was essentially, um, you know, blacklisted in Hollywood for the reaction to that queer coding. And for years and decades, there's a documentary about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it was really fun to see him kind of chewing up the scenery in a really good and competent way uh, in this movie. But this is essentially about, you know, lifelong best friends. Um, One is queer and the other is quote unquote not. And uh, (laughs) you probably heard my air quotes because I hit the microphone. Um, (laughs) One of them, the the queer one got a job in porn and is going to move to California. But they're, I guess, at the somewhere up north because they're when they talk about let's bring some drugs across the border. I always assume that's Mexico. No, it's Canada. Canada. They're in Maine. Yeah. And uh, so essentially this guy, his best friend, uh, as part of a goodbye, wants to give him cash because this kid's got nothing. He's going to join the porn industry and he's thinking he's going to get, you know, eaten alive up there without any kind of resource. So he wants to give him, and this, this whole deal to bring a, a, a package, you know, across the border is going to give him like something like $16,000, mm-hmm. good chunk of change, you know, to get started somewhere. And so, uh, they embark on their journey. They meet Jenna Malone, things go downhill. They have to swallow the drugs, uh, with, uh, Jose having to, to the straight one, quote unquote, straight one, having to <laughs> swallow the, the bulk of it. And the other one having to swallow a little bit, things go South from there. One of the bags explode and wacky hijinks ensue like numb legs and hard cocks. Yeah. So this movie is fucking hella queer. I mean, we'll say like the two leads, obviously have a past relationship. They're very good friends. There's a lot of like sexual tension going on and in their relationship. Yeah. They love each other. They love each other. You know what I mean? For, for all intents and purposes, either as friends or more, it doesn't matter. Right. Half the reason why I like this movie and like other gay horror films is that there's not a whole lot of explanation about being gay or not. The only explanation they talk about is their relationship with each other. And there's this like, will they or won't they kind of aspect to it? You know what I mean? But that's it. This movie is just like overwhelmingly gay as is the director. I mean, like Carter Smith directed the ruins, which is a great horror film. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I love the shit out. You said the book was better. The book is so good. It also has Jenna Malone in it. Yeah. And I always loved Jenna fucking Malone. <laughs> and so there's also not, 
really a release date for this. The director, when introducing his film, said that it had been made for quite some time. And I, I believe that this played at uh, Fantastic Fest or South by Southwest, one something in Austin but beforehand. But no one's picking it up. Yeah, I mean, and, and it may have been picked up or not, but he said, he was like, when we were making this movie, I was never sure if it was going to be shown to audiences, you know? And so I, I really liked it. I thought it was good. It has some surprising moments to it. Like it's, it's not quite what you think it is sometimes. Yeah. I felt like I wanted different things to happen thematically to like fill the emotional ride, you know, but because the story they're trying to tell doesn't really have a, so what because of some things that happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a fun ride and it's great to see, you know, Mark Patton. It's great to see, you know, um, things that we don't normally see, you know, and exploring a gay straight relationship and friendship. And, you know, it's always fun to see the very rare hard cock in a horror movie. Oh, and it's a hard however, cock. however prosthetic it was, um, you know, and there's uh, some interesting stuff happening film film wise. Uh, I think I rated a little bit lower than you and you rated a little higher, but we even out about four stars. So it's yeah. definitely worth seeing if you're into queer horror. Uh, it was very competently made because this is a competent director for sure and competent actors for sure. And I cried twice. You know what I mean? So that's, that's saying something, right? Yeah. I really like movies that like sort of run a gamut of emotion. And this did, there's some funny parts to it. There's some super queer parts to it. It's also touching and tender, but it's not as queer as it really is. It really made out to be like, they were passing around these posters that are straight up pornographic. Oh yeah. Uh, that is not in the movie, you know? No. And so, I feel like they're the way they're marketing it is is probably incorrect, um, you know. But I guess we'll have to see. I mean, they're certainly going for an audience. They were trying to create buzz with that poster and yeah. get people in there, but it worked. It was a full up. theater, yeah. right? Well, so, I, maybe I don't remember. I mean, it was pretty full. Okay, because that was the first time they were showing it at that at that at this particular festival. But yeah, I mean, I I for sure when this movie, and I have no doubt that eventually it will be released. You know what I mean? In some form or fashion. So I definitely think that you should check this one out for sure. Yeah. So next up, we've got the biggest surprise for us probably, right? And that's the Black Phone. Because if you recall, if you are a dedicated listener, and several Shooting the Flames ago, we talked about the trailer for the Black Phone, which we shit on. Yeah. And that trailer is still shitty because it just looks basic as fuck. It looks like it's trying to capitalize on it. But if you like dig a little deeper, right, uh, this is actually written by or based on a story by Joe Hill, who is the son of Stephen King. Right. And so uh, it's also directed by a really good director, Scott Derrickson, who we should have given the benefit of the doubt. He did Doctor Strange, Sinister and Exorcism of Emily Rose. I'm less of a fan of Sinister. The first half of it is excellent uh, film horror. Um for me and uh exorcism of the rose is i don't know if it's a guilty pleasure but i fucking love it uh and of course dr strange is, is amazing um you know so this is a good director and of course the cast is ethan hawk uh led by ethan hawk is the the you know the main bad guy it's the story is told in the trailer there's there's no big reveals there um mason thames is the as the kid that he takes and madeline mcgraw as his, as his little sister who was amazing in this yes, she was so good but it's the construction of this movie that is so well it's the execution it's very spielbergian it feels like a fucking spielberg movie but more horror you know and it feels like the way the lovely bones should have been or something you know and that's what i would more describe it to versus it Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the the it stuff kind of starts and ends with the with the balloons, and that's it. Yeah, 
Stop comparing this movie to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I was scrolling through letterbox looking at reviews for this and everything was like, Oh, it's it. It's it. It's it. And I'm like, it's not though. I mean, like it's not at all. There's children in peril. It's sort of a period piece. You know what I mean? I was like, and that's kind of where it ends. And you the supernatural know? stuff has nothing to do with the bad guy. Actually. No, it doesn't. And I mean, the supernatural stuff is kind of almost, well, it's not an afterthought. It's very much present in the yeah. movie, but, uh, it's just not treated the same way. Yeah. I, and I was surprised, surprised as hell at how much I really enjoyed this movie. Well paced, super well constructed. I mean, God. the trailer just doesn't do it justice. The trailer's not holding anything close to the chest. It is what it is, but it just looked so by the numbers. And when we saw the actual film, it was just a really good fucking movie. Well That's put right. together. And so our combined score is a 4.5. And it's one of the highest of this, of this whole theory. And some of this might be just our shock. And we're yeah. like, oh my God, it's actually good. And we overrate it. So that might slip down. But really, we want to tell everyone this is worth seeing in the theater. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, really is. And, you know, and I was not expected to say that. Like, we we almost didn't even put it on our schedule because we were like, oh, we're not excited about this movie. It's we know what this movie is. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. And then I think, you know, by both of us talking and trying to pick out the movies we were going to watch, we we're like, well, why not? You know what I mean? If, if we hate it, we already knew we were going to hate it. And we'll at least get to see it before other people do and be able to, to give this kind of hot take on this episode. And so now we can fully go back and say, like, it's good. It's really, really good. This is what we need from mainstream horror. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I feel like audiences will enjoy this movie as a whole. Yeah. And I hope that it makes money. And I hope that people talk about it. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's it's really, really good. Shockingly good. Yeah. And we'll list all of these movies in the show notes, by the way. After we watched The Black Phone, we went into our fifth movie of... The day. The day. And we saw something called She Will. Right. And this is a directorial debut uh, from Charlotte Col- Colbert. And this is going to come out, I'm guessing, streaming in July. And um, this actually has one of my favorite actresses in it, Alice Krieger, who played the Borg Queen. And she was in Silent Hill as the bad guy. Um, she was in Hansel and Gretel as the witch. She's kind of cast in those kind of roles these days, which is kind of sad. Um, but she's so good at it. Uh, and also stars Coda Eberhardt and Rupert Everett. <laughs> Randomly. Yeah, unrecognizable, though, because we knew that he was in this. And I was watching the movie and I was just like, which one's Rupert Everett? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of hard to. Pick him out, but eventually I think we did. Yeah. If you're going to so. watch any horror retreat movie at this festival, <laughs> watch She Will. Um, it's not perfect. It's a slow burn. Um, there's a lot of meaning kind of wrapped in, but it, most of all, it's, it's a woman like grappling with aging and her uh, womanhood. She just had a double mastectomy and she's trying to go out into the wilderness and be alone and heal. And she has a uh, helper played by Coda Eberhardt, who does an amazing job and uh, essentially is connecting to her inner wit witchiness or whatever, because she's going off in this, I think it's Scotland or somewhere. And there's a lot of peat, right? And yeah. so peat uh, itself um, plays a lot of a big role in this as part of like the earth, uh, you know, and powering uh, witches. And a lot of this is like ambiguous and kind of, you see like a woman, uh, throughout the movie on her bike that's like going around her motorcycle essentially that's followed by a fox who is you know essentially like her familiar you know uh so there's a lot of stuff kind of subtle supernatural stuff and not so subtle supernatural stuff i i wish uh that you know the trauma of this woman uh we forgot to mention that malcolm mcdowell is in this that's true um but uh, you know she's dealing with her trauma and that's most of the movies like trauma revenge 
But you know, the, that's my main qualm with this movie is that is this all that, that this woman is? She's had a whole fucking life besides that trauma, you know? And it's like, I, I wanted it to kind of go and more into like dealing with, you know, lost womanhood and what that means to her looking back on her whole life, not just one particular traumatic point of her childhood when she was first starting her career, you know? Um, but it's an interesting ride and it's well done. The, uh, the soundtrack was done by Clint Mansell is not available, but it was a fucking amazing. So it's worth just watching this movie for the atmosphere and, and the trip and the music. Um, and some great acting turns. Yeah, this movie is visually stunning. But it's very folky, too. Yeah, I mean, think more Wicca than Witch. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's very centered on, like, like the earth and nature, right? It's, it's In not, horrific ways. <laughs> it's not exactly like a witchcraft kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's It was an interesting movie. It was really pretty to look at. Alice Creek did a, a very, very good job in it. And I mean, I liked it. I did. I just, I feel like after watching five movies back to back to back, you know, like it, it was, it was neat to look at, you know, I just, I needed, yeah. a, I needed a little bit more. It was the last movie of the night of the our, story. our biggest day where it was, we just, we just watched four movies back to back and we were kind of done, you know? And so maybe given this movie a little more space, I'd enjoy it more, but overall we both gave it three and a half yeah. essentially. So it's still worth seeing if you come across it and you want to see something like a, uh, like full core, modern full core, um, you know, having to do with like uh, examining femininity and things like that. Um, you know, and it's important to say this movie is already very popular in the UK. Like it was very successful. Oh. Uh, people really responded to it over there, and it's it's making its way to other places, North America specifically, right? Like we just said, it'll be out very very soon. Um, so uh, I, I I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see how people in America react to this movie, and if people talk about it. But yeah. I mean, for sure, I think that we we agree that you should check this movie out. Yet another one example of Biddy, Psycho Biddy, right? Mm-hmm. Like X, right? Yeah, or mm-hmm. any of these, like, you know, uh, you know, you could even say um, Sunset Boulevard. You know, a, yeah. a lot of those, like, the, the, the aging woman stories grappling with her, her age and her history and what's going on. You know, it's part of this genre, which is always fucking interesting. But, you know, I, I hate that as named Psycho Biddy, but... <laughs> come up with something different to call it. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean I'm actually very interested if if our listeners watch these movies and like what they think folklore. of them. <laughs> We're gonna have to like circle back maybe sometimes and like remind you guys that we've talked about these before when they start to be released. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. in case. But uh, moving on from that, we went into one of the movies that that I really thought was great. It was one of one of my favorites of the festival, and I, I Chris liked it a lot too. I think, and it's a movie called Hypochondriac. Yes, and uh, theoretically this will be on VOD in August. It'll have a limited theatrical run at the end of July, but VOD for sure in August. And this is directed by Addison Hyman, who was present, very present throughout the entire festival. Yeah. And he would talk with people and kind of befriend them. And he would speak before the theater. He, he's obviously not media trained and is kind of unsure. But this is a story about him and his life. Kind of uh, aggrandized, Hollywoodized, hyperbolic, you know, but um, still very, very interesting. And essentially it's him dealing with the trauma of the past. Mm-hmm. 
um, and uh, the past coming to the present and him kind of inheriting like generational trauma in the form of psychosis, you know, essentially from his mother. So essentially, this is a story about his own trauma. We, we found out that the relationship, the gay relationship in it, because he's gay, it's, it felt really good in a way that Swallow didn't because this is um, very incidentally gay. He just happens to be gay. It's not part of the, the story that the trauma that he has is not anything to do with the fact that he's gay. But there's trauma happening that has reverberations with his relationship, which was really beautiful to see through. Uh, I think I got teary-eyed, and you certainly cried a few times in this. I cried a lot. My eyes hurt by there's the end some, of this movie. There's some kind of uh, scary things that happen. There's some jumps. But mostly it's really about trauma, and it also has one of the more realistic gay sex scenes I've seen in a movie. Not that it shows much or anything, but it's just a little bit more, you know... I don't know, <laughs> in the realm of realism versus like the broke back spit in your hand and fuck a can of beans type of situation. Yeah. I mean, like we're watching this movie and you're essentially watching a person have a breakdown, yeah. a mental breakdown. Right. And I, I feel like this movie gives a really good visual representation of what that might feel like. You know, I mean, obviously I, I don't have a lot of point of reference for this, but I mean, it seemed it seemed honest, it seemed genuine, and its approach to its subject matter. I had a very strong emotional reaction to this movie and a very strong emotional connection to its main character, right? Having not experienced anything like that in my life. And I think that says something about this movie and its filmmaker. I feel like if if a writer, director, producer, whatever he did in this movie, all those things is really coming from a place of like, like self-discovery or even just like mining things from your past in a way to like help yourself move forward it had a lot to say about trauma it had a lot to say about mental health it had a lot to say about relationships with family and romantic right and so this is by far the movie that i thought about the most after seeing it and i didn't rate it that highly because i thought there was some pacing issues like just like it could be trimmed all across the board to be a little bit tighter uh so that the you know uh, the the cuts and turns in the in the film were a little bit more would hit a little bit harder maybe but i feel like that's kind of a nitpick because obviously this is still we're we're rating a four plus stars yes combined score and this is something that i'm really kind of dying to show my partner yeah you know and it's just it's really good like it, it we had a long talk after we watched this and i talked about my you know history with um mental illness in the form of uh, panic disorder ptsd from a near-death death experience mm-hmm. and that i had years and years and years ago and uh you know kind of remind me of the way that the way that he showed and portrayed that and uh, there was hit home a lot and it was very honest portrayal of a lot of it. And so I feel like um, it's one of those movies that's just as good as it is important for many reasons. And it's fun. It's funny too. Yeah. I mean, so, I was laughing yeah. and I, the, the acting in this movie is really, really good. I mean, I, I By really, Zach and uh, Devin Gray principally. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I think the woman who played his mother did a very excellent job. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, this movie is good. It's just something that I would watch a lot, you know, and I, I feel, I just feel very connected to it. And I, I want people to watch this movie, especially like queer or gay horror fans. You know what I mean? Like this movie has some scary moments. Like I jumped, like there's some visually scary moments. I mean, even the director himself said, you know, he borrowed heavily from Donnie Darko. You know what I mean? And so you can watch this movie and it's, it's right there in your face anyway. How similar it is, kind of. Yeah, there's the, the only one bit of it, you know, otherwise so, it's not, you know. But, you know, it, I just, I really, I really, really enjoyed this movie and I wholeheartedly suggest y'all go check it out. You have to. Last but not least, we saw, finally, one of the movies that we were most excited about, which is a movie called Mad God, 
which should be on Shutter this month. Yep. So the last week of June, it's going to be on Shutter, and before that, it will have a very limited theatrical release because it will be up for Oscars. I hope so. Like, so this is an animated horror movie, uh, filmed in sort of like classic stop stop motion animation. Yeah, right? this is directed by Phil Tippett, who is just like the towering achievement in all. You know, he's done work from you know RoboCop to Jurassic Park, like all this stuff. In fact, he was working on RoboCop two when he started filming this. So this has been filmed over the span of thirty years and starts and stops, uh, mostly over the last ten. But it started way back when, and you know this is like a crowning achievement of what stop motion can be, and kind of a statement piece, loosely. Uh, themed. It's, it's almost vignettes, but it's all kind of in the same kind of setting and collection of worlds or universes or realities, I yeah. guess. And so the story is kind of thin on the ground, if they're at all, but it's definitely worth, especially if you take, you know, undisclosed substances. Yeah. So, Nikki, if you're listening and you're, you, you keep asking for top tens of uh, movies to watch under a controlled substance, this might be number one. This is certainly on that top 10. I mean, like, um, it's again, a movie that's visually stunning, obviously. And I'm slowly working my way into being, you know, a little bit more accepting of like an animated genre of film, right? It's not always my cup of tea, right? But based on things that I had heard about this movie and read about it, I was very excited to see it. And in that sense, it does not disappoint. Like it's really neat to look at. Yeah. Um, narratively though, I mean, you really have to put pieces together to follow the movie. And I mean, Maybe maybe I shouldn't have been trying that hard. You know, just like relax and enjoy the ride. Yeah. I was trying to put things together. I was constantly trying to piece things together. Yeah. And I'm sorry, it's just not there. You yeah. know, like you maybe on multiple viewings or reading articles about it or interviews with Phil Tippett, you know, might, but again, like this is like a mashup. And that's fine. I mean, even this could be subjective. An interconnected anthology, you know? I mean, you and I can sit here and talk about it off mic. And the more that we talk about it and how we view things or how we feel, we could come up with our own narrative or whatever. And maybe that's that's what he's going for. Who the hell knows? Big fucking Rorschach of Squelch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really cool. It's a really cool movie. Um, I'm glad that we watched it. I'm glad that we closed out our festival experience with this movie because it certainly was an experience for sure. And what was our combined rating on this one? Four stars. Four stars. So hi, I think, I think you maybe liked it a little bit more than I did. Yeah. I mean, from a narrative standpoint or a story standpoint, I'd give it like a two, right. But, but from an achievement, technical achievement category, I'd give it a five. So I'd kind of met in the middle with a four. Like I can't, I have to kind of review this in a vacuum because it is kind of in a vacuum. It's kind of its own thing. It cannot be compared. Right. And so, um, you know, it's definitely something that you would watch, you know, like stoned as fuck around a TV with friends. For sure. You know? And I mean, as far as ratings go, I mean, you have to, you have to throw in the achievement aspect to it. And it's kind of like an exclamation point on the, on the, the craft, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just not used much anymore at all, if any, you know? And so, you know, certainly not as a, as a modern effect that you would do in a film, you know? And so this is kind of, you know, this is a statement from Phil Tippett saying, this is my craft. This is my art. Here it is. And this is my career that this is like the statement of everything that this is and, and can be. And so for that reason alone, I have to at least give it four stars. And I, I mean, I, I think a four star is a good, a good rating for this movie. So that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So, and again, 
any of you who like subscribe to Shutter already, this movie will be on there at the end of the month. Go watch it. In fact, I would say like the bulk of the movies that we watched had a Shutter bumper in front of it, so they will be on Shutter at some point. At least half, I'd say. Yeah. So I mean, like Shutter's got a big stake in the game when it comes to independently filmed horror movies these days, and that's good. So. But those were the 12 movies that we watched at the Overlook Film Festival. Uh, like Chris said, we we're going to link them all in our show notes. So do some independent research, make a list of things that you might want to watch. I mean, this is kind of a good, like, coming soon episode for you guys. Some things to look forward to. Exactly. But we have to do a very big special shout out to all of our patrons, past and present and future. Uh, because they were the reason why we got to do this. And exactly. if you would like to join our Patreon family, please head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers. We have lots of bonus content for you to listen to. You get episodes early. People are always talking with each other over there. Like it's, it's a good place to be. So go check that out. Yeah. And as usual, like every other month or so, we have a poll for what, you know, we're going to watch. You know, so join the family and thank you very, very, very much for sending us to the Overlook Film Festival because you paid for our passes, our all access pass and our room and board. That's right. And we had a very good time. But next week we are back to normal programming. We are going to be doing a deep dive into Basic Instinct. Followed by Showgirls. That's right. We're kicking off our Paul Verhoeven summer. That's right. We're doing a summer of Verhoeven. So stay tuned for that because I'm ready to talk about some basic instinct and I'm super ready to say Versace as much as I possibly can in the episode afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that just about wraps up this episode. In the meantime, you can still find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Be my mad god. I'm swallowed. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. No. You shut out the cow? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swallowed the cow. Well, Robert, that's a lot of movies, and I need to go back into my sarcophagus and rest up for the next bout. That's right. Let's head off to the sarcophagi and have some... Sean Beignet Ramsey's. <laughs> some Sean Beignet Ramsey's. Which will give me some sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. Too soon. <laughs> we have to open this business. <laughs> we do. I mean, it'll be open for Think exactly. of the beignets. Yeah, I know. Come for the beignets. Stay for the guilt. <laughs> <laughs> it will be open for 1.2 days. <laughs> and then we'll be shut down. <laughs>